Welcome to An Honorable Profession, a podcast giving America hope since 2018. I'm Ryan Coonerty. Along with Debbie Cox Bolton of the New Deal, I'm lucky enough to be your co-host. An Honorable Profession is a New Deal Leaders podcast. The New Deal is an organization that supports the next generation of American leaders. From attorneys generals, to state senators, to mayors, to school board members, these are the people that are pushing policies and politics that will respond to climate change, rebuild our economy, address racial injustice, and restore our democracy. These are incredibly talented people who have dedicated themselves to public service when their country and their communities needed it the most. Check out NewDealLeaders.org to see what I'm talking about. Welcome to An Honorable Profession. I'm Debbie Cox Bolton, CEO of The New Deal. We're proud to support some of the amazing leaders you hear on this podcast. In this episode, I talk with Phyllis Dickerson, CEO of the African American Mayors Association. It was great to hear from her, particularly during Black History Month, about the important role her organization plays in supporting and lifting up Black mayors, about some of the issues that our mayors are most focused on, and about the progress being made electing more African Americans particularly a record number of Black women as mayors across the country. I think you'll also love hearing about Phyllis's unusual path into government and public service and stories she shared from throughout her career, which started in the fashion industry and included doing advance for the Clintons and the Obamas, as well as her vision for the African-American Mayors Association in the coming years. Phyllis Dickerson, welcome to an honorable profession. Thank you, Debbie, for having me. It's so nice to talk to you. And uh, I'm excited to talk to you because you, of course, as I said in the intro, are the head of the African American Mayors Association, AMA, which we are honored to work with at New Deal. And I wanted to just start by asking a little bit about the organization, kind of the evolution and its goals. Yes. So early on, there was an organization called the Southern Conference of Black Mayors. Back then, you know, you only saw Black mayors in Southern cities like Louisiana, places like that. That's when people like Congressman Benny Thompson was a mayor in his city. And then it evolved to the U.S. Conference of Black Mayors because you start to see African-American mayors get elected in major cities like Mayor Stokes and in uh, Cleveland and places like that. And so then you evolve to where you are now which is the African-American Mayors Association, then you see most of the big city mayors are African-American. In fact, the top four cities in the U.S., New York, Mayor Eric Adams, Chicago, Mayor Lori Lightfoot, and then, of course, Houston, Mayor Sylvester Turner. So the only place we don't have a Black mayor in the top four right now is Los Angeles, and maybe that'll happen real soon. So, But of the top 20 cities around the U.S., we actually represent 45% of those cities with African-American mayors. That's amazing. Before you tell me a little bit more about the organization, I I, I just want to stop there and ask you about this kind of trend of African-American mayors being elected in these cities, and in particular, women mayors. You mentioned Lori Lightfoot, but, you know, Keisha Lance Bottoms in Atlanta, London Breed in San Francisco, our very own New Deal leader, Tashara Jones in St. Louis, first black woman to be elected in St. Louis. Really, in like the last few years, right, it seems like there's just been a real increase. And it's so exciting to see. What do, what do you think's going on? What do you attribute that to? 
Well, I think Black women have always been in leadership. It's just that they're moving into a different area of leadership. You just saw in Durham, Mayor O'Neill get elected, the first Black female mayor in Durham. It's unfortunate, and we keep saying the first, because we have Valiles in Charlotte. We have, as you said, Tashara in St. Louis. So they're there. We just don't highlight them as much. They're doing the work on the ground, London Breed in in San Francisco. So they're in major markets and major cities. Mayor Bowser right here in the district. And so they're there through AMA. We make them more visible, raise their profile, things like that. But it is a movement across the the board, not just in gender uh, Pacific, but just being African-American, period. I think people are starting to see the movement. Yeah, I love that. And I, I'm hoping this is a, obviously this is a, a portends things to come, right? We talk so much about making sure that our elected representatives look like America. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, there's just been such a, a lack of representation for so long. So to see this kind of, you know, it might, it, it's, it is a movement and it's, but it's well overdue to your point. Like, you know, you keep saying, we keep saying the first black woman, that's, you know, we need to get to a place where we're not saying that anymore, right? You know, so. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So when you, um, back to Ama for a second, can't fill us. So tell us a little bit about now, you know, what, what is it the work that you do? How do you um, organize and how do you work with the mayors? So it is a membership based organization for African American mayors only. We do a few things. We represent over 500 mayors across the U.S. We advocate for policy for on the federal level. We do some training and development with our mayors because, of course, as some people may know, some of them are getting younger and younger. And we share best practices. We focus on this year, we're going to focus on five pillars, one being climate and environmental justice. The second one being revitalization and community safety. We're going to focus on health, infrastructure, and then the last one, voting rights and civic engagement. I love it. And how do you pick the priorities that uh, are going to, you know, be the the ones for the year or the cycle or however you think about it? So we actually sent out a survey to our mayors and we asked them their priority areas. And so between, you know, us on the staff side, sitting down, having a strategy meeting, and then asking the mayors where their priorities were and where their issues are in their particular cities, then these this is how we came up with those five focus areas. Yeah. And you do have leadership. You think you mentioned when you said uh, Mayor of Houston, Sylvester Turner is your current chair, and that's a one-year position. Is that right? Yeah, so Mayor um, Turner Houston is our president this year. And then next year, Mayor Frank Scott in Little Rock will be president, uh, well, actually for the new year. So he actually comes in in April. Our conference is in April in D.C., April 27th through 29th at the Washington Hilton. And so Mayor Frank Scott Jr. of Little Rock will be the incoming president. Got it. And, you know, another thing I know that you do... um, as we all do for pe- people who run organizations who work with elected officials around the country, it's kind of an exciting time to be working at the state and local level, particularly as so much federal money is now coming to states and localities through things like the uh, American Rescue Plan, the infrastructure bill. How do you coordinate with um, with the federal, with Congress, with the White House? How does How does that work for you all? So on the White House side, I probably have weekly calls with Gabe and his team on, on, in governmental affairs for the president. And then I al- always have a call or an, at least an email once a week from the agencies, whether it be uh, Department of Transportation or Department of Labor, or whoever, Homeland Security this week. So they, they reach out, they keep the communication open and they ask what the issues are. So for us, the issues are sometimes it's the pass through money when mayors don't necessarily have a great relationship with their governor. Another point, it could be the 
formula that we use for allocation. Sometimes the formula isn't equitable, so the allocation won't be equitable. And sometimes it's the lack of technical assistance. Um, many of our cities need that technical assistance side uh, to help with the, pull, the drawdown of the funding, the application process, and then the tracking piece. Yeah. You know, you mentioned equity and I, I'm glad you did because, you know, again, it's fun to talk to you. I usually am talking to elected officials. I have to say this. And, um, you know, you like me run an organization that works with elected officials. So it's, it's an interesting, we have more of a similar way of thinking about things, right. Uh, in, in the big picture. But so I'm curious for you, for me, it's been such a, a, a great, you know, just exciting time to be working so closely with the white house and with Congress and all the elected officials. But as we, you know, come out of COVID, you know, one of the things that's on our mind and I wonder about for you very much is how COVID laid bare all these longstanding inequities. We knew were there already, but, you know, things, access to broadband, access to healthcare, um, so many, which in particular, we know affects communities of color. So I'm curious for you, you know, how do you think about equity in terms of all the policy issues that you work, that your mayors are working on and how important it is to the, to, to the mayors that you're working with? It's funny that you do mention COVID. So let me start there first. So before I came to AMA, I, my company actually had the contract with Arkansas Department of Health to do the implementation process for vaccinations in uh, majority minority areas in Arkansas. And we saw the inequity there first, just the allocation of vaccination, the process. We don't, if you don't have a device and you don't have broadband, then how do you register to get vaccinated? So that was like that was like the first inequity. So we had to do something different. We have to look at the culture in which we're trying to speak to. And so for vaccinations, I went to those mayors in those in the Mississippi Delta, uh, you know, because Arkansas and Mississippi uh, border each other. And I talked to those mayors, and there and we we pulled in the faith-based community and the ministers in those areas got their you know got their church members registered. We found a, a big gym or community center, we brought in the vaccinations and we lined them up and start vaccinating them. And so, you know, sometimes you just have to not use the, the same old um, tool that's in place and, and think about how do we create equity when it's really not there? Okay. And sometimes it's even like for the federal level, it's the match funds. So, you know, some cities don't have the match that 80, 20, like, how do I come up with that 20%? And what does that look like? And so for us, it could be thinking outside the box on the public private sector. Is there a um, private sector company that, that can help you with the match or foundation or things like that? So you just have to think a little bit differently in order to get the same results. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Let me ask you another question about, about AMA. You work with both, both, it's bipartisan, correct? Or is it not? Nonpartisan. I mean, nonpartisan. I'm sorry. And a lot of um, a lot of mayors run in nonpartisan offices, obviously. So mayors are kind of unique, um, and so municipal uh, electeds as well. But so you know, in this in this culture where there's so much you know distrust and division uh, in the parties, how do you, as a person who runs a nonpartisan organization, think about working with the mayors and how do they work together across kind of those party lines, even though they're not you know officially partisan? You know, they are Democrats or Republicans. How, how does that work? So for for me personally, let me start there. I was a former chief of staff and uh, for mayor in Little Rock, Mark Stodola at the time. Um, I had the pleasure of working for three mayors. So Mayor Jim Daly, Mark Stodola, and then I have Frank Scott with his transition. So I had the pleasure of working for all three. And most of our most of our issues are not Republican and Democrat. 
they're, they're, they're just issues. Like people just want their trash picked up. People want their roads fixed. That's not, that's not blue or red. And so even for my governor, Asa Hutchison in Arkansas, when he hired his first female chief of staff, I sent Allison a note. And I said, welcome to the girls club. Let me know if you want to have lunch. The next day, literally, she emailed me and said, Phyllis, are you ready to have lunch? And so she needed to, you know, talk about things that are that are maybe women specific issues and with women that are in high level positions. We built that partnership. We still are friends today. And guess what? Now her governor is president of National Governors Association. And so when I came here, one of the people that I met was the, new, the CEO of the uh, National Governors Association because Allison made that introduction. And so we just have to explain to people, this is not uh, red or blue. We, we serve, a, you know, we have a commonality here and it's, it's public service is what we do. We service our constituents. And so sometimes we just have to put the, what I call the dumb stuff aside and, and get the work done. And I think that's where mayors are right now. And, and it doesn't work out on in every state, in every city. Uh, sometimes it's a, it's a harder sell to get that relationship fostered with that governor. But it doesn't mean that we don't give up trying. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I do love one of the things I love about mayors, you know, is that they, you know, they are you know, the backstops in their cities, right? The pothole gets filled or it doesn't and the mayor's fault, you know, a lot of the mayors we work with uh, at New Deal will tell us that, you know, it's, you know, they, they see the people in the grocery store, they're going to be held accountable. Like you said, not not red, not blue, just did you get the job done? And that's a unique thing. And, you know, whether, you know, a little bit different than if you're a state legislator or a member of Congress, the mayor, you know, on the ground. So I hear you on that, on that front. It's like, you know, they just, have, they just have to find a way to get it done, right? And so, you know, as chief of staff for the mayor, as you mentioned, in Little Rock, you know, what what was that like? And, and what was, you know, what did you see in terms of the mayor, a mayor, a mayor's mindset in terms of just how they were going to solve problems? Or kind of what did you learn from being uh, being in that role? So I guess what I learned most is how you foster relationships. So I was born and raised in Little Rock. So I graduated from the famous Little Rock Central High where you, you know, you know, the Little Rock Nine graduated from. And so I had the pleasure of being homebred. You know, a lot of people uh, fly in and, and become chief of staff, but, I, you know, it was home for me. So the relationships on the ground as relates to the citizens already had in place. The relationships I didn't have were like more like the governor's office and things like that. And then also building those federal relationships. So now it's coming together in one place. I had the pleasure, as you know, of working for the Clintons and the Obamas. And then I had the pleasure of working for Mike Bloomberg. And so it's so funny now because all those people have now reached out and want to be partners with Alma in some level. And so with that in mind, it, it, was, it was really about fostering relationships. And so for Mayor Scott, you know, he was here a couple weeks ago for a U.S. Conference of Mayors. And we went and I told Department of Labor, like, we got to start having secretaries go to Little Rock, right? And talk about the work they're doing. And so now Secretary Wash is going to Little Rock. You a know, former mayor so himself. Just, though, just building those relationships, I think, is what I learned the most. I, I have three cell phones. Everybody laughs at it. And but the number one joke with my friends is, Phyllis, when you die, who's going to get possession of your cell phones? And I'm like, the relationships only matter because they're me, not because they're somebody else. But yes, 
I have, I think, I can't even tell you how many contacts I have in my cell phone. <laughs> well, it is a big part of, uh, of these jobs, right, is, uh, is making those connections and figuring out how to leverage uh, different uh, relationships and organizations to get the work done. So I hear you. It, you do have, you mentioned the, the Clintons and the Obamas. You have a really interesting path into public service, which we talked about when we first met. And I'd love you to share that story a little bit. You did not start your career thinking you were going to go into working in government or with elected officials. What? Tell me, tell me about it. So my mother actually worked in government, in state government, in city government, and in county government. So I grew up in it. My mother was over, like some people will know, the butter and cheese program. She was over the energy assistance program. And so I used to volunteer. In fact, I got fired by my mom as a volunteer. I was like, you know, I'm not getting paid. But I actually started in fashion. Fashion is my first love. And um, so I did fashion for about 20 years, opening stores and things like that uh, for Gap Corporation. I worked for Neiman Marcus. I was a professional model for 10 years. And then their position came open. It was a limited service position with the city of Little Rock. And they asked if um, they were advertising the position to for the event person to coordinate the 50th anniversary of the Little Rock Nine. So I actually got into the government based on that. But along the path, I actually did the grand opening for President Clinton. Right after he came out of office, he did the grand opening of the Clinton Library. And I saw this guy named Greg Hale doing advance. I didn't know what he was doing. And I was like, who is he? And they said, that's Hale. And I said, Hale. They were like, not H-E-L-L-H-A-L-E. I said, oh, okay. I want to do what he's doing. I didn't know my job was important. I, I was doing hotels. So I did hotels for the VIPs. And uh, But I saw Greg Hale do this position called advance. And I said, well, I want to do what he's doing. And so after the library opening, I got trained to do advance. You had to do background checks and all that. And I became one of the advanced people for President Clinton. So every time he would come to Arkansas, I would do his trip, right? And then they took me on the road. So I think the the one of the I, I most logistical nightmare events to ever do for President Clinton is a funeral because everybody knows him, right? Especially a funeral in Arkansas or a relative funeral. And then after that, Hillary ran for president the first time. And I said, I think I want to go and see what it's like to be on the road. I will say it's a lot different because when you're at home, you have all your, you know, logistical skills, you have all your contacts. But when you're on the road, you got to create those those relationships. So I did her for two years when her first presidential election, I felt like I didn't have closure. I was like, you know, for the first time, I'm like something's not right. Like, I don't know why I don't have closure. And I asked God, I said, what is wrong? And he said, the only way you learn how to work for a first lady is to work for a former first lady. That's literally what God spoke to me. And I said, am I going to work for Mrs. Obama? And, and the Lord didn't reply. So for a year, I just kept telling people, I'm going to work for Mrs. Obama. And everybody thought I was crazy. A year later, I was coming back on a plane and I got an email that said, Hi, fellas. My name is Alan Fisk, Director of Scheduling Advance for Michelle Obama. I heard you would like to do advance for her. And I did my first trip for her. I went to Africa with her. I, kicked, I was on advance to kick off her last move, her military initiative uh, with her, and um, now First Lady Biden, um, all those things. So I had, I had amazing, an amazing life from you know local government to advance and all those things in between. That is an amazing story. And I just love that, uh, that fashion 
you know, it was the first love. I mean, and, you know, and we talk a lot on this show about, you know, how people come into government, you know, and it's not, I mean, there are people who, you know, do maybe more what you expect. You worked on a campaign, maybe went to law school, whatever it was, but, you know, and that's fantastic. But, you know, there are also people who come from all walks of life. And so, you know, it's not, and it's, I think from, it's also like never too late, right? If you feel like, a, you know, a call to serve, you feel like there's an opportunity that suits you or a, a job that suits you, you know, you, you got to go for it, right? I mean, that is just such an amazing um, story and how much you got to see. Is there a, a a trip uh, or a, an experience during your advanced years that you can kind of remember as one of your favorites or, you know, something that you would want to share that, that maybe would surprise people about what, what it looks like to do advance. I think advance is so ugly behind the scenes that, uh, that, that we all have war stories. I think, uh, see a Clinton war story is we did the funeral for his stepfather we used the hearse from um, President Reagan. It had never it only been used that one time. And when we got ready to get in the car after the funeral service to go to the burial, the battery died. Oh, and my goodness. So we, we had to use the trooper's car to jump it off. And we had them all in the car, like ready to take off. And then when we had to stop, then they all jumped out of the car. He, Chelsea uh, and Hillary. And then we had to like wrangle everybody back into the car. Then everybody started coming out the church and they all waited to laugh and talk. And I'm like, are you guys kidding me? So um, so those are some of like examples of like you can plan the best possible event and you can only control what you can control. I think my best trip was probably going to Africa with Mrs. Obama. That was one of her first international trips without the president. It was a beautiful weekend. Um, we spent we actually spent two weeks there getting ready for it. And then she was there a week, of course, and she brought the girls and her mom. And so we did some some amazing things. We, everything was about uh, mentorship with young girls. And so she did like a luncheon. We did a collaboration with Botswana and Baylor University on um, some of their HIV and AIDS uh, issues. She painted a mural on the wall there. I mean, it was just such a great trip. Amazing. That's so amazing. And it was my first time to Africa. I did the bus water leg of the trip. And it was just, it was, I felt like I had come home. You know, I hit the ground and I remember shedding a tear and I told everybody I was there to meet my cousins. And so everywhere I went, people would say, hey, cousin, because <laughs> it just got around the city that I was there meeting my cousins. I love it. Oh, my gosh. That is an amazing, amazing story. What, what do you what would you tell people who, you know, are interested in doing some kind of, you know, you went you went zero to 60, right? You were, you know, you would you, you, you didn't start small, you went straight to advance for the presidents. But, um, you know, for anybody who's interested in, um, you know, in, in doing public service and working with elected officials, like, you know, what what did you learn from your transition from a different industry? And, and what would you tell people that are interested in doing that kind of thing? I, you know, my number one, my number one line is trust the process, because sometimes it doesn't make sense. Like, how did I get here? And so when I did new store openings, those were logistical skills that I was honing in on. I don't know if you've ever opened like a big box store that's 25,000 square feet just on floor space, but that's a lot of merchandise rolling in at one time. And so where does every sock go? Where does every pair of jeans go? How do they get folded? Where's the back sock going? All of those things, you're working out the logistics. So it's the same, the same skill sets that you take over to the next position, which was like the, the 50th anniversary of the Little Rock Nine. 
How many people are going to fit on the front line of Central Hot 5000? How many media are going to show up? 400. Like, uh, and how do they file their stories? Like all the little details were part of the part of the training, right? And then advanced just just took me to that next level. What is that? What I call the 30 second shot that you're going to see on the front page of the paper or on the new five o'clock news? What is that money shot going to look like? Is it somebody shaking their hand? Is it somebody hugging them? Is it them waving while they come on stage? What is the money shot? And so you do all of that work to 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 get the right story, to get that money shot. Yeah. And when you, when you look back on your career, there are so many different aspects of what you've done in logistics and then being a chief of staff and policy and, you know, all there's so many different pieces of what you've done in your career. What is it that you're kind of think that is going to be serve you best as you're in this role, which is relatively new still uh, as head of the African-American Mayor Association? Kind of what are, what are the skills you think that are most relevant to kind of the, the role and the, and the charge you've been given as the new uh, leader of this organization? I don't know about other people, but mine is I just trust God no matter what happens, whether it's a high or a low, you know, it's my the spiritual part of me. I trust God in every aspect because I ask him to make each moment a teachable moment and make sure that I learn the lesson while I'm there. Because once you learn the lesson, then he jumps you to the next phase. Mm. It's beautiful. Some people keep being, you know, staying and they keep repeating the same lesson over and over and they're wondering why they don't move ahead because you're not asking to actually learn the lesson. Hmm. Do you have a, um, you know, some of the goals you're thinking about for for AMA as you look ahead a little bit? Like, where where would you like to see AMA go? We talked about it, you know, the evolution a little bit at the beginning. Where would you like to see it go over the next few years? I, I think it's it's almost getting there. Like, I want to see one, I want us to, us to take over all the top 10 cities in the U.S., right? So, so if we get L.A., then that, that gives us that springboard to take over the rest, right? And then the second thing is on the fundraising side. Like I have a, a, a Phyllis goal that I want us to get to so that the, you know, so the breadth of what we do is just wide open. I want to have some conversations that have never been had before. Yesterday, I was talking to Mayor Suarez in Miami. He's so hyped because I just asked him to have a conversation about cryptocurrency with Mayor Eric Adams because they both get either their full salary or half their salary in, in Bitcoin. And so nobody even knows what it is. And so let's just have that sit down conversation. So he escalated that from we're just going to have a conversation to we're going to have a whole cryptocurrency conference in um, Miami with black mayors in July. And so so just talking about some things that are that are important, um, voters rights. We're talking to Atlanta now about having hosting a voters rights piece in Atlanta uh, with Georgia mayors, because that's where a lot of the issues are going to be coming into um, the new election cycle. Mayors like Van Johnson in Savannah, um, Hardy Davidson in Augusta, the new East Point um, Georgia mayor. Mary uh, Dickens in Atlanta, just having that conversation and educating people on what the issues are. And I think that from the federal level, we use so many, so much jargon and trigger words, just breaking down a focus also on the public engagement side of, of explaining why, why that issue is imperative and what's important. Yeah. And what's at stake right now? 
Yeah, what is at stake right now, which is a lot. <laughs> there are so many major issues. Maybe I'll end on this question. Again, take advantage of having a fellow CEO on the on the program. You know, I have my own answer to this question, but why do you think it's so important to have organizations like ours where elected officials can come together, share best practices, be together? Why should people understand why that's so important for, for elected leaders? Because the weight of the job. I tell people the weight of the job is intense. Right now, mayors are dealing with economic development issues as it relates to COVID. They're dealing with COVID. And people forget they're human, too. They lost family members. I know the mayor of West Memphis, I think four of his family members passed away during COVID. Mm. So the weight of the job is heavy. And so with that in mind, sometimes they just need to bump an ideal off of another mayor. So can they pick up the phone? Do they have another mentor mayor that gets it? Because issues in our urban cities may be different from our issues in our rural cities. Now, I'm a, we cover mayors from the big cities, the mid-sized cities, and the small cities. But, you know, right now, community safety is an issue across the board. So what? how are you using your opera dollars to leverage uh, public safety right now? Are you putting more money in YIP programs or PIT programs? Are you putting some money over here in, in human trafficking? Are you putting any money over here to talk about gun safety? And uh, like in New York, you know, it's illegal to own a handgun. But you go to Arkansas and they own handguns like they own golf clubs in, 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 in uh, California. And so, and so the issue is different. So California, they may not have the huge gun issue, but unless you go to a Pacific city like a LA, right, where it's a little bit more urban city as opposed to some of the suburbs and things like that. Whereas in the South, everybody owns a gun because it's a way of life. You get a gun when you're five because you hunt because hunting is a sport in the South, right? But why, besides hunting, can we talk about being responsible gun owners as opposed to getting rid of guns, period? Because that's more than likely, that's not going to happen in the South. Yeah. I mean, what really resonates with me, Phil, is what you said is, it, you know, particularly now, I mean, it's a weighty job anytime. But what elected officials have had to go through over the last couple of years during COVID governing in these completely unprecedented times, and frankly, often with a backdrop of a vitriol, Frank, you know, where, you know, where the decisions you're making, you know, are not if you know, you've got people on both sides yelling at you all the time. And you know, and I think that there is really a we have to remember, these are, as you said, these people are human beings, there's, you know, they're stepping up to serve their city or their state or their country, or whatever it is, and they are in your case, a city, and they need that kind of support and that uh, respite and that place to find ideas, right? Because it's a hard job. It's, you know, people think it's so glamorous. It's a hard job. You you know that you were chief of staff for, for, for a mayor. It is a hard job. Your job was a hard job. His job was a hard job. So I, you know, I just want to thank you for all the work that you're doing with, with AMA. I'm so uh, glad that New Deal and, and AMA are finding ways to partner. And, um, you know, hopefully over the coming years, we're going to be, be able to make a real dent in trying to put forward policies that are going to make, you know, communities better and safer all over this country. So thank you for all the work that you're doing. Thank you, Debbie, for having me. It was great fun to talk to you. We'll see you soon. Thanks for listening to An Honorable Profession. Please subscribe to hear more amazing leaders and keep asking your elected officials to be honorable. Boots Row Group produces podcasts. I'm Ryan Coonerty. And because we keep things honorable, no tax dollars were used in the making of this podcast.